I'm sort of against this idea. A lot of hosts do this, obviously, of this fully automated, fully you know machine-led process towards treating a guest between booking and arrival. Use automation to help you for sure. Don't do tedious things that you could just automate and send you know a message or a or door code over. That's silly. But the idea of having a touch point or having a guidebook that you can tweak or personalize a little bit to the ideal target guest, we keep going back to that, um, I think does buy you a lot of goodwill. Welcome to Mastering Vacation Rental Marketing, a special behind-the-stays podcast series brought to you in collaboration with my friend, Conrad O'Connell, founder and CEO of Build Up Bookings, one of the most respected marketing agencies for vacation rental managers and hospitality entrepreneurs. Conrad just published an incredible book called Mastering Vacation Rental Marketing, which serves as a strategic guide designed for vacation rental managers, hosts, and STR professionals eager to scale their businesses without becoming overly reliant on OTAs like Airbnb, Verbo, or Booking.com. Over the next three weeks, you'll get a sneak peek into the frameworks, case studies, strategies, and data that Conrad shares in his book. If you'd like to purchase the book, you can do so via the Amazon link below. Or if you'd like a digital copy of the book, Conrad is offering a free digital version to all Behind the Stays listeners. You can also find the link to download this digital copy of the book in the show notes below. All right, folks, without further ado, get ready to learn from and be inspired by Conrad, one of the best marketers in the entire industry. All right, Conrad, we are live here with uh, episode two of this special Behind the Stays and Build Up Bookings podcast series, Mastering Vacation Rental Marketing. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Yeah, glad to be back. Glad we're we're here, part two. It's going to be better than part one. It's not going to be like, you know, sometimes the sequel lets you down, but we're not going to do that. We're going to try not to at least. <laughs> Absolutely not, yes. And uh, just a quick little refresher. In, in this first episode, if you're just ca- catching up, you can scroll down to the show notes below to listen to episode one. You could also just listen to this episode and then go back to episode one, uh, although they do build upon each other. But in episode one, we talked a lot about sort of the different stages of, of marketing, the different phases, and all of this content for this series is really uh, inspired by Conrad's new book, Mastering Vacation Rental Marketing. So in the show notes below, you'll also have a link where you can go and purchase, uh, download the book. Actually, Conrad has given the digital copy of this book to uh, totally free to Behind the Stays listeners. So you can you can download the digital copy for free, or you can purchase the physical copy, which Conrad and I are both you know, proponents of physical books. It's important in this digital age to still have something tangible. Um, so you can find the link to the book in the show notes below. But I would just want to go ahead and dive in. The The purpose of this episode, this the second part of the series, is really to talk about how to design a marketing strategy that is appropriate for where your vacation rental management business is at. So, Conrad, you've got these kind of four core phases that we briefly touched on last episode, the featherweight phase, the lightweight phase, the middleweight phase, and the the heavyweight phase, which is really just a way to kind of think about different phases of of your business growth. I'd love for you to just briefly recap kind of how how you guys tier out each of those phases. And then I want to really get into the meat of this conversation and discuss what are the right marketing strategies and tactics that from your perspective are most appropriate for each phase. Yeah, well, I'll start by saying that we actually, I think, did this incorrectly for some time. We used to be overly, I would say, focused or indexed on unit count. We said, oh, property manager ABC or multi-property host ABC had 10 units, therefore we're going to put them into this bucket. And then property manager DEF had 20 units, therefore we're going to put them into this bucket. Mm. But um, I shared on episode one, we talked about the client that we have that has two listings that do a million dollars a year of gross revenue. Yeah. Now, it's very uncommon to be fair, but that kind of busted my brain almost a little bit of like, well, we really can't imagine, we really can't group people by units because imagine we get another client like that filling out our form and we're ignoring them because we think, oh, two units, maybe we can't help them. Yeah. Or maybe they're you know, maybe our services would be a good fit for them just based on pricing and cost and things like that. So the tiers that we came up with are a little bit more based on revenue, gross booking revenue typically, which for a property manager obviously is very different than like a, a host or an owner who is taking in pretty much all that cash as opposed to a property manager who typically is only taking 10 to 30% yeah. depending on the market of that cash. So yeah. that's a, a wrinkle in this process for sure that can make it a little more complicated and apples to oranges. A host that owns properties that are doing a million dollars a year of gross booking revenue is obviously not going to be the same financial situation as a property manager that's managing a million dollars of bookings, but they're only keeping you know two, two 300,000 of that as their 
actual kind of their actual top line revenue. Yep. So that's the hard part for to to be sure. So you might have to put yourself in maybe a slightly different bucket depending on um, your ownership of the assets that you're actually working with from a vacation rental perspective. However, the tiers that you outlined, it's kind of like that starting phase in our mind is kind of under that 200,000 per year gross booking revenue number typically. The next level up that lightweight phase is typically two to 500,000 gross booking revenue. We find 500 to a million is that next stage, the middleweight stage. That's where a lot of people are at. Um, heavyweight is one to 3 million. And then super heavyweight, we kind of talk about it a little bit in the book, but that's like 3 million plus. That's like you're very large and established in a single market or your multi-market or you're like a national brand, you know, a Casa or V-Trip, something like that. Yeah. So those are kind of the tiers that we defined. And again, we found splitting it out by revenue was more appropriate because it, it, it better kind of allowed us to create strategies that would make sense even if you had a two-unit company if you happen to do $500,000 per year per unit, which we have seen. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that this makes a, a lot of sense. And what I'm eager to to dive into is thinking through the different marketing strategies and and tactics that, that make sense based off of where you're at. In, in episode one, we touched briefly on the fact that it can be really overwhelming to figure out like where to start or or perhaps you have started and you're doing like really, really well in one particular channel. Like maybe you've crushed Instagram, but your direct booking website is like, you know, garbage and the conversion rate on that site is really, really not where it should be given the size of your social following. And so I you, you've worked with clients of, of all shapes and sizes. And I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on when when you're in that featherweight phase, that 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 first stage what are what are sort of the marketing strategies and tactics that just like absolutely should be in place? And then how do you know that you're kind of approaching that next phase? I guess give us an example of, of both. An example of if you're not already doing this in the featherweight in the featherweight phase, you need to be doing this now. And then when you're doing these sorts of things, that those are good signals and indicators that you might be, you know, able to graduate to that next phase. And I do believe in that concept for sure. What you just said there, the idea of graduation, like maybe your revenue is only two hundred and seven, you know, thousand dollars a year of gross booking revenue. But if you've done all the things that we consider in that featherweight category, you've kind of checked all the boxes. Then moving up is the goal because sometimes yep. you have to move a little bit ahead of where you are to actually get unlock that next level of revenue, exactly, or at least it gives you your next opportunity, that sort of thing. So I like that idea or what you said there, graduation. Um, so we talked about this a little bit last time, but like the first box in the quadrant in the book outline when we put things together was um having a guest persona or ideal target guest, I would actually argue that, and this is not our area of expertise, nor would I pretend to be super knowledgeable about it, but this is almost like when you're um, kind of scouting the property itself, you should be thinking about that, I would mm. argue, instead of buying something which is kind of relatively common on the host or manager side or host or owner side, I'm going to buy a property and then later figure out how to like market it. I, yeah. I, the, the appropriate way to approach it is probably to first think, what kind of person do I want to serve? And then maybe finding a property that matches what that actually you know, can entail. Uh, we talked about Isaac last time, you know, and like he saw the land first and then created it in his mind before he actually began to construct the real estate, what it was actually going to look like. Yeah. I think that's the ideal way to do it. That's not always feasible. Sometimes you're not actually the one building the properties in some cases, um, but you should at least be able to see the property and go, okay, if we modify it in this way, it's going to be appealing to this person. So it might actually be the thing that you do before you spend a dime on acquiring the property or acquiring the inventory itself is who is the ideal target guest yeah. and who's the guest that I want to stay with. And you might have a different you know, thesis or strategy or point of view, depending on the market. There's a company here locally to me, I'm based in the North Myrtle Beach area, South Carolina, who only manages and only builds massive, large homes. So they only focus on stuff that's 10, 15, 20 bedrooms. Wow. And they're targeting people who are coming for this sports complex they built probably seven, eight years ago at this point. But they were targeting that, the idea that a traveling soccer team would come and stay all together. It's actually called, you know, like the, the brand of the company is called Together. Huh. And it's targeting a very specific type of person. There's 10,000 one-bedroom condos, you know, within a three-mile radius of this. That's not at all who they were going after. They weren't just like, oh, let's build 10 more one-bedroom condos, right? They kind of had a different thesis in mind. And from what I can tell externally, I don't work with them or anything, but from what I can tell externally, things seem to be going pretty well there. So. Yeah. That's the first thing. Like, yeah. who who are you even trying to serve? Who do you want to serve? What what people do you like being around? I think that's a, a really important point that a lot of people maybe skip over. They want to get into the numbers and the marketing stuff, and that's great. But you got to be marketing to a specific person for sure. Can I can I ask one actually, one, one yeah, follow up yeah, question uh, to that, Conrad? Because you know, I, I think in theory, people talk about guest avatars, guest personas, right? Like anytime you go to a conference, you'll 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 hear these topics. I think what what's hard is that. At least when I interview folks, right, and I'm like, so who's your target, you know, audience? They'll be, they're either say everybody. I mean, everybody could value this, right? Everybody could get something from it, or they'll be like, 
you know, like the luxury market. But but I still feel like b- both the luxury market and everybody are kind of the same thing, right? Like, uh, first of all, everyone's standard of luxury is wildly different, right? And, and mm-hmm. if you just look at Airbnb alone and you look at how many times luxury is used as an adjective to describe a place and you, you ask 10 people, is this luxury? And I promise you, you'll get a different answer for, for every single one, right? So it, it, there's not like a universal understanding of what luxury is or isn't. So, so I, are there one or two questions that folks should really ask themselves in order to ascertain like who is that core persona which by the way you don't have to only have one persona forever right like but i think what you're saying which i 100% agree with is like when you're starting out you're using the limited time and energy that you have for marketing to begin with you really do need to drill deeply into that kind of core core guest segment to start with and you can always grow from there but are there one or two questions you'd recommend folks ask themselves to further unpack like what luxury is or, or you know even like a couple's retreat like h- how do you get a little bit more specific than that i think you just have to think of the people so i don't i don't think there's one or two questions that will get you to the core of that okay. quick enough to yeah. like you know to answer I, I think it's more of like okay i have a thesis that people who come to this area are seeking xyz but they're finding abc right like mm-hmm. they're they're finding at these types of properties so i think you can look to the market for inspiration and say okay these 25 listings on airbnb have top ratings they have over 100 reviews and they average 4.85 or higher yeah so needless to say people are enjoying what this person is putting out there but what's the problem with this particular property like there's yeah. always something that you could maybe be doing a little bit better or differently i i wouldn't typically use terms like luxury or i wouldn't typically you know think of it in that way but you could say like for example this property uh, this is one of my pet peeves on uh, LinkedIn. I post these every once in a while and they always get a lot of engagement, which is I hate when the TV is wall mounted and there's no cord drop. So the cords are just like laying loosely, you know, kind of in the thing that bothers me so much because it's like an attention to detail thing that tells me that you don't really care about the way the property looks or photographs yeah. in there. So it's maybe maybe that property is a $2.5 million oceanfront home that has all the you know features, right? But it's like they lack attention to detail. Yeah. And I know that there's other things in the house. I know that if they don't do the cord drop, there's other things that are going to be in there that yeah. are not going to be set up correctly. I recently, so that could be an example. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. just to quick, quickly on the cord dropping thing. I recently just shared some photos too of a, like a brand new build. Uh, it looks like they put a ton of time and money and energy into it. The 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 photos of the listing that are now all over social have like the the stickers of like the uh, of the um, appliances like the, the 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 you know the whatever the whirlpool sticker is still on the refrigerator and it's like neon orange and you can you can still <laughs> and it's the same thing with the dishwasher and it's like did they not think and it's so obvious like you look at the photo and it, it like that's where your eye goes right it's to the bright orange neon sticker on the it, the kitchen is beautiful but the first thing right. you notice is the damn sticker. On the refrigerator. Anyways, sorry, uh, I just had to throw no, that in no, there. No. Yeah, but but I think that uh, you know by finding okay, here's a property that has a lot of reviews, and then look at the mechanics of it, which might be like it's a four bedroom, it's a you know four bedroom five bath, um, all king beds, right? Like yeah. I actually just saw as the time of us recording this, Airbnb did their like a kind of a mini release yesterday. Yeah, and um, <laughs> Chesky had been tweeting about. And people got a lot of engagement on this tweet where it was like, you can now filter by listings that only have king beds. I thought that was a fascinating little nugget because for them to do that, it means that there's this overwhelming force in the search results for yeah. like, I want a king bed when I go on vacation. I'm not going to downgrade. I have a king bed in my bedroom. I yeah. want to go downgrade and sleep in a queen if I can help it, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I thought that was a really interesting nugget there. So part of it is intuition, I'll be honest with you, right? And it's having a point of view about what the property should look like, yeah. how it should be designed. Um, there's lots of properties that I think do a phenomenal job of aesthetics, but I think it's also, it's not just like form. I think it's function as well. Hmm. And I think a lot of people can do well by not trying to make the most unique looking thing. Although that can obviously, you know, lead to success. There's people that play that game very well, but a lot of it can be function. Again, I mentioned the together resorts example earlier, another, um, example, Someone that we don't work with at the moment, but that we have in the past, maybe we could put a link in the show notes to um, Oster Golf Houses as another example. He's built these, um, you know, specific houses for golf groups on the huh. Robert Trent Jones Trail in Alabama. So every room is the same. It's not like, oh, Zach booked the trip, so he gets a nice master bedroom, and then I have to go slum it, you know, in the <laughs> in this room. Every room is like king beds, you know, same size, all the same amenities. Every guy in the trip gets the same experience or girl. It could be, you know, yeah, be different yeah, genders, yeah, yeah. but mostly he's targeting that typical golf guy's trip. Um, yeah, there's. Uh, there's a room for where you can smoke cigars. There's a poker table. There's things inside the property that are made for it. If you look at that home from the outside, it looks like maybe a standard, you know, four bedroom, five bedroom house. It doesn't scream, oh my God, the design of this is so yeah. unique. I can't yeah. imagine it. But the function of that property or properties like that 
fits a very specific persona, right? So his his bet was that a golf group would prefer a single family home that was designed for them as opposed to a hotel. And the thesis I think is working out pretty squarely for Rick over there. Yeah. So that those are really good examples that stick out to me um, because I think that it can be like, you know, Isaac's example might be a little bit more of like a design aesthetic that people are going for. Yeah. I don't think anyone's like, I need to have a Scandinavian style cabin. Like, I don't think that's <laughs> what they were thinking. But then when they saw it, they were drawn to it. Yeah. Or I think it can be function, like large properties or properties made for a specific group or properties in a specific location that's very private. I- I've said this um, on previous shows before where we have a client that we work with and they have a lot of cabins. They they manage almost 200 cabins in a specific market, but one of their cabins is on 15 acres and there's no other cabins around it. Wow. And even though I would argue the cabin itself is pretty mediocre, doesn't yeah. have like maybe the latest amenities or the latest features, the design of it doesn't blow anyone away. It's pretty plain and basic. When people sometimes call or reach out or email and say, you know, I really want something quiet. Well, they go, well, this property, you know, it's, it's kind of unique. It's on 15 acres. No one's going to be around you. So like if privacy and like you don't want to walk out the back door of your cabin, look over to the left and see a group, which yeah. is what you might get in a lot of these cabin markets. Uh, there's not as, quite as serene and private private as you might think it is. <laughs> that property really can stand out to people because they go, wow, I'm going to go out and there's I'm going to drive through this driveway and it's kind of surrounded by this forest and it feels very different. Even yeah. though, again, I would argue the mechanics of the property are pretty mediocre. Yeah, Maybe it would do a lot better if it was this amazing cabin, but it does well just because it has this really unique feature. So I think it can be a lot of things that people are drawn towards and it's not always just one one question to ask yeah, yeah no absolutely and so you know just to bring us back here so in, in in this first phase really knowing and doing the work to figure out who is your your target guest that's that's kind of step number one uh, anything else in in that in the first phase that if folks aren't doing that are are just fundamentally like you, you've got to be doing x y or z uh you don't necessarily need to worry about a b and c until until phase two Yeah, so in the content section of the book, we talk about that very first level as the first piece of content that you're probably going to produce for your vacation rental business is a property description. And I think a lot of people like the photos and that property description is kind of like that's what your product is initially. Even if you're getting all your bookings or OTAs, those two things together are ultimately going to determine a lot of your success to some degree. So the photos, again, not a photography expert, wouldn't pretend to play one on the internet, but there's a lot that can be done there with regards to like, you know, the style of the photography, the click-through rate of it, the positioning of it. There's there's lots of pieces there. So definitely you want to have a lot of different photos to choose from. You don't want to send one photographer out there one time and just be like, yep, all done. Actually, it, Mark, he's, the, the, he's not as active on Twitter anymore as he used to be, but Mark Jenny had a really nice thread that he sent, um, that he put out a while ago on Twitter and he was talking about he always sends two photographers every mm. time they get a new listing. Yeah. It's like two highly rated, highly skilled, talented photographers and they just see the property a little bit differently. And then when he gets them back, he'll run both photos or like test both photos and see which one works better and sometimes the answer is it's a mix like his kitchen shot was better her you know exterior structure shot was better or whatever the case may be i love that idea because if you send one photographer they're going to have they're going to see it their way and you send someone else at a different time they may see it a little bit differently you might get a better outcome so i would say photos is like the first visual piece of content marketing they're going to produce and then the first written piece of content that you produce for your vacational business even when it's small and fledging and one property is a property description and people in my mind typically don't create a property description comprehensively enough they just skip over certain details or they think, well, that's in the photo. I don't need to put it in the description, but people don't look at every single photo. So you need to like have it in the photo and have it in the description. And I think sometimes people phone that in a little bit too much there for sure. What what are your thoughts to you on the, uh, you know, sometimes people use the property description as like an opportunity to to kind of like keyword stuff a little bit, right? Like Mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, storytell. And and like I've seen listings that I, I think do, do well, uh, you know it, it both approaches but like do you do you think there's like a, a a better approach like is it better to talk about this is the sparrow's nest and in the sparrow's nest is where you'll find like your soul again and you know let me let me like art artfully describe this beautiful you know evergreen tree that'll be right outside of your your window every morning right or like you know you've seen listings like that versus the ones that are like you know uh, they've got like a a star and it's like six emoji you know six emojis and then basically like you know king bed and then you know uh huge kitchen and huge is all capitalized like like (laughs) when it comes to actually crafting that that description is there an approach that you have found with with your clients that like works nine times out of 10 or, or, or works better? Or is it totally different depending on like market and stay type? Yeah, I think it does depend for sure. Because if imagine if you had a very historic property in the heart of Rome, I think you're going to want to do storytelling. I think it's this romantic idea of the property you're staying at has this rich history and yeah. you're going to experience something unique if you're coming from a different place that you've never experienced before. And I think storytelling can play a role in that. 
Whereas like if you have a resort style home and it's in Phoenix, Arizona, and it has all these amenities in the backyard, which is kind of a common, I think, type of thing that you see shared online. Yeah. It's less about the story and it's more about let's pack in as much kind of like, you know, it's almost like the loud neon version of what you want to actually be writing from that perspective. Yeah. So again, I'll go back to our first tile, which is knowing the guest persona and what is that guest actually going to be drawn towards, right? Yeah. And I think the truth is to answer with you, to answer your question more directly is that it might be a little bit of both. There might yeah. be a story to it, to enter the text and to begin the property description and talk about what makes this property so unique, um, limiting a little bit less factual information that they can just find out anyways, a little bit lower down the page. And then maybe having bullet points. I'm not a huge, you know, fan of like, really splashy emojis the all cap kind of stuff i find that that in my mind it doesn't it often cheapens the brand i don't yeah. think it always responds well yeah um in our testing too uh, i don't think it always responds well but having like bullet point emojis or that type, that type of stuff i generally am okay with that if it's more subtle but it does catch the eye a little bit yeah. and that's where i think you can hit um just the facts versus doing more of a storytelling angle but honestly i think the best path is to have both you want to have quick scannable information inside a property description that is just the facts and then i think you want to have a little bit of storytelling as well about why someone should care about that property to begin with yeah so if i could just kind of summarize this this first phase it sounds to me like really know who you're targeting under understand who you're designing an experience for and then two when it comes to the the channels that you are active on probably at you know this early stage airbnb maybe also verbo maybe also booking.com but you're probably ota specific you might be working on you might even have a website you probably don't have a pms yet at, the, at this particular juncture maybe you do but from what i'm hearing you say really make sure that you know who you're creating uh, an experience for and then ensure that you're creating content, i.e. photos and property descriptions, really like the listing on these respective OTAs, really, really do the work of making sure that those are in place. Um, and and that that is sort of sort of summarizes kind of like where where you should spend your your marketing uh, attention, if you will, in that first phase. Is there is there anything else that you think is like fundamental or, or missing that you want to make sure that we get in here? Yeah, I will say as well, the guidebook, I think, is your second piece of content, written mm. content. So mm. the listing description kind of gets them there. I think the guidebook and how you treat that guest once they book can take a three-star review to a five-star review or mm. can take a four to a five or buys you a lot of goodwill if things go wrong, which is something that we've talked about recently um, on the podcast that we, we do, where we talked about this idea that when someone comes in, there's kind of this equilibrium. They're optimistic, you know, but they don't really know you well, so they don't know what to expect. And by giving them great information in a guidebook and sending that piece of content over, you're actually building a little goodwill so that if one little thing goes wrong later, you can kind of recover from it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sort of against this idea. A lot of hosts do this, obviously, of this fully automated, fully, you know, machine led process towards treating a guest between booking and arrival. Use automation to help you for sure. Don't do tedious things that you could just automate and send, you know, a message or a or door code over. That's silly. But I, the idea of having a touch point or having a guidebook that you can tweak or personalize a little bit to the ideal target guest, we keep going back to that, um, I think does buy you a lot of goodwill. So that's the only other thing that I would say there. But you nailed it a second ago. The things that graduate you out of this lower tier is getting that PMS, I think, set up, getting at least a basic direct booking website set up. And then on the SEO side, um, we talked about this at the very end, I think, of last episode. Um, just make sure the website's indexed in Google search. That's your first SEO task is yeah. just build the website, get it up there, make sure it's on a .com domain name that's hopefully unique and specific to you. And then get it just indexed in Google search. So when people search for the name of your property, we didn't really touch on that yet, but that would be the another thing to consider here. What's the property actually called? You know, yeah. what's the brand that you're actually building off of? Even if it's one listing, can you call it something that's unique that people can search for online? You're going to start to at least get not really a, a downpour, but you're going to get at least a little drip drop of you know direct interest coming into your website because people might come off platform, off Airbnb to save on fees and find you directly. So I think those are kind of your early stages, things that featherweight, just to break out of that very like basic level and, and focus on that. You know, there's a whole layer of SEO that we could talk about for hours and maybe yeah. we'll get into it as we get into the more advanced pieces of, uh, of this kind of series here. But initially it's just like get a brand name, get the .com domain name, get a basic direct booking website set up and just make sure when people search that name, you rank for that name. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a, a massive success at that stage, in my opinion, at the featherweight stage. Yep, yep. I, I couldn't agree with you more. One one last quick follow-up question here, and then I want to move on to the lightweight stage, but is when e, e, let's say you start with just one property. Are you of the mind that it's important to brand the property, but then also have sort of like a, a parent company brand, if you will? Because, you know, I think what what's hard is what what is the trade-off like if you if you've got one or or maybe even two like you might name the properties something distinct but to your point about SEO if you're trying to rank for something if you're trying to instill in prospective guests that there is a a company behind these these listings these stays 
how do you do that well? Like, do you, are you of the mindset that even if you've got one property, you want a company name if, and a, a property specific name, or, or how do you help people think through that? If you're only going to have one, and one is going to be the thing it's going to be forever, I think you're probably fine to not worry about the company name. And yeah. just this is, you know, Zach's awesome cabin and that's what it is and it's always going to be that that's not a good name people don't use that don't, don't use your first name awesome cabin but um yeah i think if it's only ever going to be one and that's the only piece of branding that you're ever going to need great but most people don't do that so it's rare that i say that's the path that i see being the most successful over the yeah. long term you know typically what we see is that it's better to have you know here is xyz property it is managed by xyz company you yep. know and then kind of layering both in there as even the first line in the property description so i would lean towards that as early as possible even if it feels maybe a little premature or a little playing house like you know oh why am i calling myself xyz company when we don't even have we have but this one listing but if your goals are if your goals are to grow long term yeah. then i think that is a valid thing for you to be doing early on so that you don't have to backtrack on a lot of work and redo a lot of things later on when you actually create that more structured website where there's eventually two listings on there then three then seven then 12 then 15 and we've worked with accounts and clients that have started with two and now they have 100 you know yeah. on the on the property management side so that obviously is something that we i think you want to think a little bit ahead there and not do something that you're just going to have to undo perhaps six months later and then costly redo of the website or costly redo of the brand or those other assets what do you think about including the name of the company as part of like the listing name so we, you know, I was talking to somebody recently who they've got a company called Deacon Stays. They're based in North Carolina, um, outside of Wake Forest, I believe. And um, you know, he his listing, every listing is like Deacon Stays, you know, colon, and then it's like four bed, you know, Lux place with a hot tub or something like that, right? What are what are your thoughts on? Do, like, does that work? It seems like if you're trying to build a brand, you would absolutely want to include the name of your company in the actual listing name, but I guess I'm surprised that I don't see more of that. And so there must be a reason for that. Like, what are what are your thoughts there? It's it's a very aggressive approach. You know, certainly it's getting close to, I think some of the Airbnb terms of service stuff around encouraging people to go off platform, like mm. you're not, but you are, you know, by doing yeah. that. So I would say there's a, a element of risk there. Um, Sonder does that aggressively too, yeah. by the way. Um, yeah. Maybe they get a free pass or something because they're Sonder. I don't, I don't know. I can't pretend to understand how that works. Um, but look at a company like a large national company like Vacasa, they don't. Yeah. Know, they, they don't put that in the description. So, or in the title, I should say, it is in the description. Um, I, I lean against it. You know, I think there's a time and a place for it. If your brand's really short and really memorable, maybe you can fit that in there and still fit in kind of some, you know, punchy copy that people are going to click on. But 95% of the time, it, we typically don't write titles that way when okay. we're doing title work. I, I find that you're giving away valuable real estate that you can just simply put into the profile photo. You can yep. put that into the first line of the description. Yeah. You can have your profile um itself be you know managed by this example deacon stays or this property managed by deacon stays and you yeah. can put that in other places so you know title I, I would probably not typically go in that direction description and the profile itself yes lean into that branding and you're going to get some level of off, off platform that's going to leak out that's what expedia calls it by the way leakage when people leakage. go off platform and go to a direct booking site. i don't like that word but that's what they describe it. oh that's a funny word that's amazing um all right so let's move on to the the lightweight stage so you've got a, a few properties now let's say you're kind of in that like three to five uh ish category what what are you doing now you figured out your your ota optimization uh, as far as your listing pages are concerned you um are are you know you've done you've done the work of getting good photos right so you, you've got those things in order you understand who your guests personas are maybe you've tweaked them a little bit as you've learned or as you've onboarded new properties what what should where should your marketing attention be at at this phase one thing we didn't touch on but that we put in that lightweight stage a moment ago is just having like an email marketing platform set up so a mailchimp a constant contact that sort of thing set up initially i think that at this stage though going to the next layer just something that we haven't spoke on yet is the idea of now you can actually kind of create i think some some branding and some efforts to reach out to those past guests through mm. these other platforms. Mm -hmm. So we recommend an in-property, you know, email collection tool. So that could be StayFi. I guess disclosure, we do have a small like investment in StayFi, but they're a great platform. And they allow you to collect the email address of the guest once they actually arrive at the property by bridging the Wi-Fi platform there. There's also guidebook um, you know, companies, hostily and touch day that do email collection inside of a guidebook. So I think those can be valid ways of doing it. But I think email is a channel that we didn't touch on at all in, yeah. in the featherweight stage. Because at that point, just like get a MailChimp account set up, try to get some emails in there, but you're probably not going to be seeing tons of win. But at this next stage, I think now it's like, okay, I can collect the email address of every guest that stays with me across my three listings, maybe at this stage over the next three months. And I'm going to have 100, 200, 300 people that I can market to. That's a great like foundational piece that you can start to then drive your own traffic 
back to your own website. Yeah. And you're now far less reliant on people just just hoping <laughs> early on, you're just hoping and wishing people find you right off of off a booking platform, at least in terms of getting direct bookings. With email, you've got a little more control. Like you've yeah. got your own list that you can market to, advertise to, and promote. So that's one, you know, thing that I would definitely mention there for sure. We we touched on social a little bit, but at this stage, I think you can be active on social and it sort of justifies the cost and the expense and all that sort of thing at this point. Um, you should probably only be focused on one, maybe two channels if you could figure out how to do two channels well. But I don't think at that stage you should be trying to do TikTok and Instagram and yeah. Pinterest and yeah. Facebook and all these things. I think you should pick one, probably Instagram, and focus on that solely um, as a way to actually get some social engagement. And hopefully at that stage too, you have the capability to, um, you know, maybe work with influencers, get some additional visibility that way. At this stage, I think that is a viable target. Um, we didn't talk about Google My Business, but that's something at this stage that I think makes a lot of sense, getting like an actual brand profile set up on Google My Business. Try to get 10 reviews, try to get 15 reviews, just get something there, but get yeah. some initial traction. So when people search for the name of your company, it looks, not just looks like, but is an actual legitimate real business that they feel they can do and reach out to directly and doesn't feel like they're just, oh, this random Airbnb host, you know, that kind of has put up their own stuff, which I think is where a lot of people stop. They do the basics and then they don't see any success because they don't go to that next stage that is kind of this featherweight stage. Yeah. Um, we talked about this a little bit, I think, on the last show too, but this is where I think you might want to do your paperwork a little bit better. You know, have the trademark set up. Don't try to infringe on anyone else's trademark. Um, having a professionally designed logo, I think having brand assets that really kind of make you stand out from the crowd and fits your ideal target guest makes sense. And then working on a better direct booking site. We, we joked on this, I think, last episode too, but having a direct booking website is sort of a yes, no question. Whether a direct booking website is any good or not is a more nuanced <laughs> question. But at this stage, I think you could start to make legitimate real investments into improving the content, design, page speed, layout, all those things that actually go from okay, yeah, it's a website to, oh, this looks nice. I trust this, like kind of giving off that image and that branding that are going to make people feel confident whipping out their credit card and giving you two, three, four, or $5,000, which yeah. is what the state might be. A C- couple follow-up questions here. Uh, circling yep. back on email, uh, you talked in the last episode about how some folks can begin to like over-index on on email as a channel, right? As as Just because it's, I think, quite it's easy. It's it's a little easier, I think, to write an email and hit send to a couple hundred, few thousand, whatever it is, you know, people. It's harder to kind of craft a really engaging, beautiful, like you know, uh, Instagram reel, for instance. And so I think I think that you know that that's why probably people over-index on email. What one of the the best examples I've seen of a short-term rental uh, um, host who's just really crushing the email game is are are the folks at Hinter. I don't know if you follow them or like Emily and Mar- uh, Mauricio. They're a husband-wife duo out of um, Mont-Tremblant, uh, nor- north of uh, Montreal. They've got a few like really pretty, like really kind of inspirational, unique stays. Anyways. I have I've signed up for a lot of folks email uh, newsletters and lists just just to kind of see what I get right and theirs <laughs> is by far the best because they they really really understand their brand and so the email is almost it, it's an asset that I look forward to because it really isn't it's it's a soft promotion for their actual stays but mostly they're they're into like slow living and like you know uh, you know disconnecting from like the matrix and like digital detox and all that fun stuff right and so their newsletter is actually like resources for how to do this how to like digitally detox as part of your like daily routine or hey you know we're entering the fall season here's like a collection of like poems that you could read while you like listen to your favorite folksy you know fall playlist or whatever anyways it provides real value to me as a reader. And at the very end, it's like, by the way, we have a few you know dates still available in our fall calendar book here. And I, I love content like that. And I think that like if you if you are, if you get in the habit of doing that in this in this stage, lightweight phase, you're only going to get better as you graduate to other stages. And your reputation uh, as, as a content producer is only going to grow. So sorry, I just wanted to kind of throw that in there as like as you start on email, please, please don't just send like blasts of like available dates and like deals like every day because then people will unsubscribe and it's it's not it's not a value add. Um, so I don't know if you have any commentary on like the kind of email you should be sending at this particular stage, but I just wanted to kind of throw that in there. No, no, I, I'm not familiar with the brand. I'll check it out though because that seems interesting. I do like the idea that you're reading digital detox stuff on an iPhone or something when you get the email. That's a delightful <laughs> bit of irony. But anyways, I digress. Also, seems like a, a company or a, a a duo that knows their target customer yeah, well. Exactly. Who is, 
you know, targeting the urban person who is, I, I live in this city, I live in Montreal, and yeah. it's constant noise and this and that. And oh man, when I go up here, it feels different. I yes. get this different experience. Um, I, I actually saw this a long time ago. I think I tweeted it out and it was a company in the UK. I don't remember where, and I don't know my, I don't know the UK that well. So I'm going to butcher, I'm not even going to try, but basically it was actually taking that to the next stage. And it was not only is this a no cell phone type of zone, when you arrive, give us your cell phone. We're going to put it in the lockbox, and you're ah, not going to get it for the two days that you're here. I think it's unplugged. So yes, offering it. We're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think the company's unplugged. Maybe. Um, I don't know if it was yeah. them who you're thinking about. They definitely yeah. do that uh, as, as part of the you know. Uh, but but yeah, that is, that is next level. Yeah. Um, Again, per- perfect perfect example on the branding and guest persona type stuff. Yeah. That what you know. Back to your earlier question, just for a moment. What, what question could you ask to arrive at that? I don't know, but like they figured it out, and now it's like here's something that makes us stand out from the crowd. Yeah. Very different, obviously, than what a lot of our clients say, which is like fast Wi-Fi at the cabin, fast yeah, Wi-Fi at exactly. the vacation rental house. Which exactly. to be fair, I want when I'm traveling. Me you too. Know, like the digital <laughs> detox stuff, and eh, not really my flavor. But um, I hey, there's time and a place for it i'm not completely opposed to it either yeah and there's people that are drawn towards it so yeah the email thing what i would say is you've luckily (laughs) somewhat luckily obtained their consent you know don't abuse it right that's that's my logic so you're someone's consenting to let you at their email inbox and you've got to be thoughtful about what you're actually sending to them like you said are you adding value or removing value i will say we run pretty promotional emails sometimes that do pretty well yeah but one thing that does do well in a promotional email is making the promotion worth opening right Mm. so like we have clients that do last minute specials a lot through email marketing and, you know, as we record this, it's a Thursday. So let's say next Friday, we have an opening of this property. Yep. You know, we would be able to say, hey, if you're able to come next Friday, where the rack rate was 1700 bucks, we'll give it to you for 1200 bucks because you're on our email list. Yeah. Tap here, you know, and use this promo code or give us a call and we'll actually reserve the stay for you. And it's because, wow, like I, by staying on this last minute alerts list, I get the chance to vacation in this market in the Outer Banks for half the price that I might have otherwise by kind of staying tuned in to what they're doing from a last minute perspective. So yeah. I think you can be kind of promotional, but again, it's permission based. And the second you violate their permission, they're unsubscribing, you know, pretty quickly. And we all get too many emails anyway. So you've got to figure out that signal to noise ratio. And it seems like the example you gave is a, is a solid one of it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's, 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 it's work, right. Um, but, but at the same time, right. Like if you're invested in building up a brand for yourself, like you, there's, there should be some amount of time that you can justify to making something unique. Otherwise it's probably like, you know, not, not worth doing. If you don't enjoy doing it, if you don't, if you don't believe it's valuable, the people that are receiving it on the other end won't, won't as well. Um, and then yeah, the other thing I just wanted to follow up is on the direct booking site, what do you have like a recommendation on like either CMS or like, do you have like a preferred like option for folks? Cause you know, I I've seen many, you know, several out there. I, I know that like Boostly like does, does a, does a bunch of, you know, uh, kind of like templated direct booking sites. They, from my perspective, like, and you know, I'm a huge fan of Mark and, and the work that they're doing, but they kind of all look very, very similar, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. So they, they've done a lot of testing and they've arrived at a template that they believe works, works best for their clients. Right. But like what, what are your thoughts on direct booking sites and whether or not there's like a preferred CMS or or whether or not you should you can get away with like a Squarespace or or, or something like that? Yeah. So similar to Boostly, we're a WordPress shop as well. So we kind of have that as our point of view. And we're developing some more of those templates that you're describing on our side too, because I guess the challenge not to get like meta about our yeah. business, because that wasn't really the core of your question. The challenge is, of course, how do we create something that's repeatable and also affordable for that, you know, for that property manager or that host to acquire, right? Yeah. Like I think both, you know, a company like Boostly and ourselves are trying to figure out the same thing, which is how can we give you something that works really well, but isn't going to cost you ten, fifteen, twenty thousand yeah, dollars, which yeah. is what a custom, totally custom design might do for you. Yeah. And to be fair, there's clients that we have done more custom work for and have paid prices like that and have been rewarded by it. But yeah. it's also people who are much further along. You know, we're kind of at the lightweight stage yeah. still. When you're doing five million a year, spending five fifty thousand dollars on a website makes complete sense because a small token increase in conversion rate is going to make a meaningful difference to your bottom line. Yeah. But at this stage, I think that's a great option. Obviously, you know, if folks reach out to us, we could kind of uh, also potentially work with them as well. We're a WordPress shop, like I said, so I think that's a great CMS. Yeah. We, every once in a while, we have clients who are sort of against this idea of WordPress. They have this like preconceived notion in their mind. It's almost like a it's almost like a religion or like yeah. an anti-religion or like sports. Like, oh, you're a Jets fan and I'm a you know, Patriots fan. Bad. <laughs> so, um, you know, you'll hear some people hear that and be like, oh, WordPress is so unsecure. WordPress has all these issues. I've not found those issues. I'm, you know, we're a thousand websites probably deep at this point of ones that we've touched with or interacted with over the years. It seems like 70% of them are are on WordPress and we don't seem to have the same issues <laughs> that other people have. So, you know, but it's but it's ultimately it's just, you know, it's just code, HTML and you know, CMS in the back end that's running this stuff. Could you have a Squarespace site that gets a lot of direct bookings? Absolutely. I've seen it before. We have a, we've had clients that have built completely custom sites. Um, the agency I used to work for used Cold Fusion, which is like a very old technology, and they built great converting websites. So the uh the flavor of 
of the soda, you know, doesn't really matter too much in my experience as far as like, it's not that you can't use CMS ABC and get some kind of outcome. We just tend to lean towards WordPress because of so many benefits of open source plugins, you know, wide range of developers being able to work on that product uh, free as well, the self-hosted version. So lots of pros there that I think aren't worth dipping your toe in other waters at this point in time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I really, really appreciate that context. I think it's incredibly valuable to, to our listeners. I want to move on to the middleweight phase here. So after we've, mm -hmm. you know, we've got a website um, uh, underway, we've started to invest a little bit in one social channel, probably Instagram at this juncture. Um, we are, we're, we're graduating our, we're growing our inventory, right? What, what are the set of marketing strategies and tactics that we should now be focused on that, that, that are new that might, that we can now sort of justify given where our revenue is at, given where our, the size of our portfolio is at. Yeah, so we call this like like you said the middleweight stage. This is typically 500 to maybe a million, maybe a touch more than that in total gross booking value. So most people aren't getting here with one listing or two listings, even three listings. This is probably either a relatively large operation of you know I have 10 listings in this single area, or maybe it's a property manager that starts to collecting you know start to collect maybe somewhere in that range as well, five to 10 listings depending on the revenue from that market. Again, your mileage may vary depending on what the gross booking revenue is per listing. But I think at this stage you can really start to invest in your own content, right? Mm. And you can start to do paid advertising that actually works. Mm. I find that most paid advertising before this is just the branded paid advertising we were talking about before. So again, when people are searching for the name of your cabin or the name of your company, the name of your vacation home, then you can start to see success early on by spending two, three, four hundred dollars a month in Google ads or Facebook ads, um, getting people to come back to what you have to offer. But at this stage, I find that you can generally start to attract like cold traffic or people that aren't aware of you and convert them at a percentage that's at least, you know, break even to slightly profitable. So at this stage, you might be able to bid on go into Google ads and bid on people searching for best cabins in XYZ area, Blue Ridge, Georgia, or yeah. um, places to stay in Phoenix, Arizona and start to convert some of that traffic into actual revenue and actual gross bookings from a profitable standpoint. So that's one thing that I would say can usually be introduced at this stage. I think you can probably consider doing two or even three channels at this stage. Maybe you can do Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at this stage, potentially, just depending on bandwidth and those sorts of things. I think you should have ongoing content efforts at this point too. So it shouldn't just be like at the one thing that I didn't say in the last stage is I think your website at the um, lightweight stage should have like at least some basic information, you know, here's the best restaurants, here's things to do, like maybe have a core set of five or seven, what we just call informational pages. But at the middleweight stage, I think you can start to consider we're going to do a blog post or a blog asset every month. Yeah. That content is going to be distributed on social media or to our earlier conversation in email. And I think you can just have a lot more consistency there. Um, you know, it, it seems basic, but just having like a monthly marketing calendar like yeah. we're going to be sending out these blog posts on these days we're going to be sending out uh, you know social posts on these days on these channels and we're going to you know wrap it all up at the end of the month with this report that we're going to be looking at you can probably maybe start to afford either like a freelancer or a va or maybe an agency at this level too um you know so th those are all things that i think that kind of fit into those buckets at this stage typically i love it and i did i did want to follow up on um on outsourcing right like is is this i'm glad you just touched on that at the end is this the is this the phase where folks start realizing like hey i i need to be doing something i have you know a little bit of of uh disposable income that i can afford to kind of invest in in marketing at this juncture i'm not i don't have the time and or there's no one on my team that is going to like figure out how to make the perfect reel or something like that so i i need i need support are are there specific things that yeah, obviously, you know, you're an agency owner, so you have a little a little bias here. But like, are, are there things that you think no. are, are, are worth are worth like absolutely outsourcing at, at this phase? And then are are there things that you you believe that like really should be held in house? And if so, what what are those things? Yeah, so that's actually one of our qualifying questions is like, are you doing a million of your a million a year or close to it of gross bookings? Because we find that before that, again, that just the investment doesn't make sense what we charge versus what we're actually able to deliver. Um, it's it's a you know, what we look for is like win-win, like it has yeah. to make sense for you and us. Otherwise, why are we going to do it? And I think before that, it's more win-lose. Like the agency's winning, they're getting fees, but you're probably not getting a good return before yeah. this stage. So to, to go back to your core question of what should you be outsourcing and not, I think it does depend heavily on the skill of the founder, the skill of the owner, whatever you know, yeah. kind of terminology you want to use there, the skill of the CEO. Um, what is that person good at? Maybe they're good at marketing. Maybe yeah. they're running their own Instagram page and doing a phenomenal job at it. Um, we talked to someone the other day who's running their own Instagram page and she's got to 10,000 followers by herself and claims she doesn't know what she's 
doing? And I was like, <laughs> I won't say her name, but I'm like, you know what you're doing. Like most people can't get to that. And she's been working on it for like, you know, seven, eight months. And wow. but she's like almost singularly obsessed with it, right? Like yeah. doing a lot of effort and a lot of content production and promotion for her Instagram page. So she's got a lot of success there. Um, doesn't know how to log into MailChimp and send a single email. So I think we can take that off her plate. I think she keep, she, she should probably keep focusing on Instagram. Um, just I introduced like scheduling tools to her. She didn't even know you could schedule content. I'm like, well, you could log in once a month to Planable and then like schedule your whole month out. And yeah. I like broke her brain by that. So it depends heavily, I think, on the skilled founder. And there's probably some pieces that some of our clients hold on to a little bit longer than others because yeah. they're good at it. And they find outsourcing it doesn't actually lead to a better outcome because they might be giving it to someone who doesn't do it their way or the yeah. way that led them to success. And I'm very sympathetic and understanding of that because I feel the same way about certain things in my yeah. own business. So I totally can can uh, empathize with that. But no, at this stage, I think like fractional things that you need help with, it's typically some of that, you know, so-called admin work of like scheduling social media content, uh, like maybe producing the content is still partially in your plate, but having someone go in and write all the captions and schedule that out over a month period is probably something that you could outsource again to a VA or an agency. Having someone create the email for you. Again, it's kind of this one-time activity, a few hours, you know, once a month or once every maybe few weeks that you can just outsource. And then you can kind of just keep going on with what you need to be focused on. And then you're not stopping what you're doing and focused on that. Yeah. Um, I will say one thing that's bad to outsource typically I find is, you know, a lot, some of our clients come to and they want to outsource guest review uh, sort of like commentary or like responses to guest reviews. Mm. And I think that's actually a pretty bad thing to outsource, to be yeah. honest with you. And we do do it for some clients, but I always am hesitant to like just let them absolve themselves completely of responding yeah. to reviews because yeah. I think you can learn from good reviews yeah. and you definitely need to look at bad reviews and yeah. see where those are coming from and why they're occurring. So that's one thing that I don't think you should outsource. Even if you outsource other marketing activity, I think you should keep your guest reviews in-house as long as possible. Yeah. Even if it's with someone like on your team locally that you chat with or, or work with frequently because then you have a better pulse of what's going on. I, I don't like that piece as an outsource, as an example. Yeah, that that, that makes a ton of sense. Um, I, I want to I ask a question around, at, at this phase too, if you are interested, you're clearly interested in like growing your inventory. So you've either you know purchased all these homes yourselves, or or, or more likely you've um, you've acquired um, these these homes in partnership through through an owner, right? Um, and you're you're managing the properties for them. So you you have this sort of like dual. You've got these two audiences, right? Like at this stage in your business, you're trying to grow probably like your your inventory. Therefore, you're trying to attract new new owners. You probably up until this point done a lot of like cold outreach or you've gone to conferences or like whatever it is you word of mouth you know all, all that fun stuff does does it make sense at this juncture to like have content that's a little bit more owner acquisition focused like do you how, how do you see sort of folks um teasing out and 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 teetering between content specifically for prospective guests but then also content that they might want to use as an acquisition tool to to grow their inventory Yep. That's a good question. And we do actually do have things even at the lowest level for like, if you're trying to be a property manager, even if you're starting with one or two listings, like yeah. what are the things that you need? So one of the first, first things that we talk about at that featherweight level even is like, show me a landing page on your website that talks about your homeowner services. Like yeah. we find some people are like, oh, you know, I manage these four listings and then I go to their website and I'm like, okay, I see the four listings. I see about us. That's that's great. I see a contact page. Where's the page that talks about the fact that you want to manage more listings, like yeah. your property <laughs> management page. And some people don't even have that. So um, some bias here, because I've worked with them for some time, but the folks over at Ventori do a great job, uh, Brooke Fouts and his team. And, and like I said, I've worked with them for some time, but they have a whole solution for that from like a CRM perspective. They also can help you with like prospecting, finding the data leads, et cetera. But whether you use them or not, I think some of the, the principles that you use are pretty much identical, right? Which is like, you need a list, you need a compelling offer, yeah. and you need a reason why I should pick you over the competition. And that sounds easy on the surface. And the truth is that a small company, um, it's actually hard for them to really come up with solid reasons why they are, in fact, better than the competition. Yeah. And it's it's a challenge at this stage, I'll be honest, because you typically have enough resources to you know, market to a small group maybe of homeowners, but you don't have the resources that a large company does where they're just out there prospecting and they can reach out to thousands of owners in their market every single month, you know, with through direct mail or through some other means um, without even breaking a sweat. You're yeah. like every homeowner piece of marketing you send is like, this has to work, you know, yeah. like you have that kind of pressure <laughs> under, under your uh, belt, which makes it a little bit more challenging. But some things just to kind of give some ideas that might help the listener if they're kind of going down that path. Um, Russell Brunson has this idea of like a dream 100, like people that you want to be, uh, you know, mention you or know about you or do a podcast with or something like that. And I kind of like that idea of like having a target list that's relatively small and mm. attainable, one that you could put in the spreadsheet and look at in one view. Not like I want to manage these, I'm going to email market or send direct mail out to 5,000 homes in Blue Ridge, Georgia or Phoenix, Arizona. But like, here's 100 homes that fit my criteria, going back again to our guest persona, that are very 
very similar to the five that I already managed, that would be perfect. So let me think about those hundred owners and let me think about something that would get their attention, whether it's a specific offer, whether it's sending them, doing them something, you know, doing something directly for them. That's going to be, I think, a much better viable strategy at this point when you're like a millionaire in gross bookings, because you only need two, three, four to really move the needle for you. And like that momentum is going to carry you into your next few listings. Yeah. I have a client that I work with down in Texas. And when he was starting his business down there, he actually would drive. This is a little unhinged, but it worked phenomenally well. He would drive by the listings of his competitor, um, you know, management companies and he would take like pictures and be like yeah they mowed the grass in like three weeks like this is what your guest is arriving to and the text to the owner and be like hey did you know this or like um you know i saw that like this problem was like a storm was coming in they didn't take in all of your um chairs and put them underneath the back deck like they should have so now there's just going to be stuff all over your backyard just thought i'd let you know and like it's kind of aggressive and like i said a little unhinged, a little crazy but i love that because it's like it's one of those things that like you've got to do something to make you stand out from the crowd and yeah. if you paint yourself as like the young upstart property manager that's does a better job and we know revenue better and we know property care better and we have this local team then you got to show it you got to flex on it a little bit i don't think you could just send a postcard and be like yep i, I marketed to them you have to go above and beyond so yeah that's an example of something that you know again it's not in the book but that's like a you know something that i've heard recently that i shook my head for a minute and then i went that's kind of brilliant it's brilliant yeah i mean talk about talk about like doing something flashy that stands out right and i'm sure i'm sure those folks responded to his text uh even if they didn't end up working with him that's that's a fantastic story i i I do want to move on to like the heavyweight stage which is you know Mm -hmm. this final stage before you know the the super heavyweight stage which uh, as you mentioned before is three million you know plus i think in the book you mentioned something like you know uh, the the billion uh, the billion dollar company right as a as a little bit of a, a a dramatic flair there uh but but in in the heavyweight phase um what are what are the marketing strategies and tactics that are are appropriate now you've you know what you're 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 close to 10 20 30 you know 50 ish uh, units at at this particular juncture you probably have more than just you and your a couple team members at this at this uh, at this point in time your business is probably a little bit larger from a marketing standpoint what are what are you investing in now yeah, so that heavyweight stage is one to three million dollars in gross bookings. We find at that stage, like you said, you you nailed it a second ago. You have a team, so you probably have things that are mostly handled by that team. And sometimes the people we're talking to are kind of more in that founder or CEO, you know, leadership type role. And so they're more so thinking like, what are, what are the people doing on my team, and what's working and what's not working well, yeah. um, and what are the things that I can you know duplicate, and what are things that I spend more time on and I get proportionally more output, and what are things I need to leave to the side. So at this stage, you know, we think about things a lot differently. Like um, you want real brand awareness at this point. So we have examples in the book where we talk about maybe having a brand partnership with like a local company in your area. So, mm. you know, this is a, a silly example, but it comes to mind recently. My son plays baseball uh, here in the Myrtle Beach area and there's vacational companies that sponsor like the outfield. So you see their brand, you know, there <laughs> when you're actually at the baseball field. Right. And it's like, that's a good example of like, you're trying to just kind of create this general brand awareness. Um, we see companies at this stage sometimes too, from the property management side, they're wrapping all their maintenance trucks. Mm. So it's not just that a maintenance truck rose up to the property and fixes the issue it's the maintenance truck is wrapped in the brand company and you have like the logo and all those things there so i think sometimes it's about creating a local presence maybe at this stage you you have a physical office you know i know we live in the zoom digital world but if your office is on you know the main street of your particular town or area that you're promoting and you're a single market company and you've got a sign sitting out there you know there's things like that that i think make a real difference at this stage because you're really just trying to create that brand awareness so that when people think property management when they think vacation rentals either on the guest side or the owner side they just automatically make that make that connection to you yeah. I say soda, you think Coke. Well, what was the one advertising thing that brought you there? You can't pin it down. It's just this collection of things yeah. over an extended period of time that makes you get to that stage. So those are things I think that you're doing at this stage is you're really just making these types of brand investments. We have certain things that we talk about even on the SEO side. Like at this stage, um, you're trying to rank number one in your market. You're trying to beat Airbnb. You're yeah. trying to beat VRBO. You're trying to beat Booking.com, all these other listing sites in SEO. And you've got to have like a dedicated link asset. You've got to have ongoing, really specific SEO efforts to do that. It's possible. It's feasible. We do it all the time for our clients, but it's not something that's going to happen right away. Yeah. You know, you ranking better organically in Google when people search for vacation rentals in destination is is a is a challenge. It's typically a multi-year challenge to really rank number one consistently, but it can be done and it takes a lot of effort to get there. 
through some of these more advanced content strategies. At this stage, you're probably doing stuff weekly on your website, not yeah. you know monthly or quarterly or yeah. one time. So the pace of what you're doing is picking up dramatically, I would say, too, at this stage. Um, you can probably execute upon multiple channels simultaneously without an issue. Maybe you could produce YouTube content and you could be doing social media content and doing short form stuff there. Maybe you could be doing giveaways or contests to kind of, again, just further grow that brand awareness. You know, we're giving away a three night stay in one of our top properties to all the people who enter. And then you take those ads and promote them to your target market that's within a two mile or a two hour, excuse me, radius there. Um, you might have a Facebook group that you run, again, more brand awareness online. So lots of things that we talk about both in our outline and in the book. But um, at that stage, you're trying to become, you know, that that thing that people think about when they think of vacationing in your destination and yeah. the top market, uh, top companies in, you know, the hundreds of vacational markets that we've looked at over the past six or seven years do that very successfully. They have a lot of pieces in place that really make them, when people think that, they're automatically going in that direction, which actually lowers your guest acquisition costs over time because you can convert the traffic that you're getting a lot better. Early on, you're not really, it's like tough. You're trying to fit in little, you know, Lego calendar blocks. You're trying to fit them in. Oh, this guest wants this day. But once you have 200 listings, 300 listings or something like that, you know, what you're, you're pretty much able to convert any traffic that comes to the website, especially if it fits a certain criteria. So that yeah. was a lot, but those are things that come to mind at this stage. It really is a different level. And that's really where I think a lot of, our, you know, people that we work with want to be at this level and beyond. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it makes a ton of sense. And I think, you know, a lot of times folks try to tackle SEO uh, in, in, in the lightweight phase, if not in the featherweight right. stage, right, where they're, where they're like, hey, I want to, you know, I want to rank number one for this. I'm like, you have a one page website and like you have two proper, like it's just don't spend your time here right now. It, you'll, you'll be spinning your wheels for a long time, right? Instead, go do these other things. So I appreciate the, the, the nod specifically around when it's appropriate to invest seriously in an SEO and content strategy. Uh, and I, I do think it, it makes, it makes sense to wait until you can give it the time and attention that, that it deserves. One of the things that I did think was you, you briefly touched on this, I think in, in the context of the featherweight stage where you were talking a little bit about uh, sourcing some, some content, uh, for, for your listing profiles on, on OTA specifically, but like creators and, and, and influencers, like working with them on, on, a, on a recurring basis or a regular basis. Does that make sense? Like mostly just kind of early on when you're trying to build brand awareness, is, is that something that should be carried throughout all of these phases? Are you sort of like anti-influencer? Like what are, what are your thoughts on the role that these individuals play? Because they, they have exploded recently as sort of like a key, you know, channel that at least folks in, in, in my purview are, are constantly asking and DMing me and asking, do you have influencers in this particular area that'll come and, you know, help me market my stay, right? So how do you think about the influencer role with respect to these phases? I'm I'm pro good influencers. I think unfortunately what I see a lot of is people who are asking who claim to have this social following or claim to have some level of engagement. And the, the trouble is that their their impressions or their engagement is not based on your target market. So, yeah. you know, the example that I give our client um, down in a luxury beach destination, I'll leave it there, works with an influencer. I'll just say it this way, looked phenomenal in bikini, but her <laughs> followers just were not people who were actually looking to vacation in this particular destination. So yeah. was there a lot of visibility on their profile during this time frame? Absolutely. Did it lead to any bookings? None whatsoever. Yeah. You know, people yeah. are following her for, again, the way she looked in a bikini, less so the fact that she was an influencer about vacation rental stays in a luxury beach market. So I'm very pro good influencers, the yeah. people that actually have reach that uh, you know can work well. I think we touched on this briefly a little bit last time too. So it's actually in the middleweight stage where we say, hey, you might want to consider maybe at that stage, 500K yeah. gross bookings of like working with influencers or content creators that can, but the, then what I say after that in the book is that map to your target market. So explain to me how that influencer maps to your target market. And then I think you can have a lot of success with it. So it's not something I would be completely against at that initial stage. If you can just show me how that person is going to market and show your property to the right people. If that's the case, I'm all for it. I think it can make a lot of sense. But I think the vetting work that you have to do on your side, if you're not savvy, um, the chance of you doing that correctly seem unfortunately pretty slim. And I find that there's a lot of mistakes made there where people are just giving away free stay after free stay, and they're really not getting anything meaningful from it. That the piece that I really struggle with from a social media perspective is that what a lot of influencers offers is stories and things that expire so quickly. Yeah. These, these marketing assets are there and gone in 24 hours. So yeah. If anything, I'd actually be a lot more bullish at this stage of people working with influencers that have blogs and have traffic that's going to stay a little bit longer. I, it might be better for you to be in an article about, you know, 
your guide to visiting Broken Bow and like that type of content yeah. as opposed to being in someone's Instagram story that's going to, again, disappear 24 hours after their stay. I'm a little bit less bullish on that in general, yeah. unless you're working with that influencer that just has the perfect match for your audience and your ideal target guest. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more there. And uh, I think those are those like expirational uh, content assets are really great when you're doing like a giveaway or you're trying to you know, increase followers uh, uh, real, real quickly, uh, but but definitely not a longer term solution. But dude, this has been a, a incredible conversation. I really appreciate all the time that you've spent uh, thinking through these phases. Uh, for folks tuning in, again, episode one is linked below. If you are listening to this well beyond in the future after we've published all episodes, uh, episode three will also be linked in the show notes below. We've got a lot of great content coming to you in episode three. We're gonna unpack sort of the the economics of all of this and then get into a, a healthy discussion around the next generation of great vacation rental businesses and what those should look like. But Conrad, thank you for your time. Thank you for the great work that you do at Build Up Bookings. We'll have links to Conrad's website, his social profiles, all that fun stuff in the show notes below. Conrad, thank you so much for your time, man. Dak, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Behind the Stays. I'd love to know what you thought of the episode. Feel free to shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com, or find me on X, formerly Twitter, at ZBoozy, that's Z-B-O-O-Z-E-E, or on LinkedIn at Zach Cruz. If this is your first time tuning in, it's a pleasure to have you, and we hope to have you back again soon. If you've been a listener for a while, though, I'd greatly appreciate if you could subscribe and then leave us a rating and review of the show wherever you are currently streaming this podcast. Last but certainly not least, Spontaneous and Behind the Stays are totally bootstrapped, and my ability to bring you these stories is only possible because of our incredible advertising partners. We're very much a startup show, and while our growth rate is amazing, thanks to all you who keep tuning in and sharing our show with your friends and family, we haven't quote unquote made it yet. So if you could do me a huge favor and go and check out the sponsor for today's episode in the show notes below, I would greatly appreciate it. Even if their offering doesn't make sense for you right now, sending them a quick message on social or an email, just saying that you're listening to the show and you appreciate their support would be incredibly amazing. All right, friends, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day and we will see you on the next episode of Behind the Stays.